What's up, guys? Welcome to Comics in Reverse inaugural episode. My name is Dalton Wires, and I am joined by Alex Brooks and Tom Westfall. How are you guys doing tonight? Good, man. I'm doing pretty good. I'm excited for this new uh, new series we're going to jump into. Yeah, man. Me too. You know, we, uh, we're trying to leave the other one pure Star Wars, so we figured we'd do a little spinoff here. Try to get some Marvel in here for a while. You know, we're going to eventually hit up some video games. I know we've got a The Last of Us planned, and I know Tom's really excited for that. <sighs> for sure. So this one is, we're going to call this series Filmworks, where we talk about films. Uh, you know, pretty much everything to do with them. We'll talk about uh, pre-production, post-production, regular production, filming schedule, actors, actresses, what we thought about them, all that good stuff. Uh, this week, we're actually going to start a series on the Marvel Cinematic Universe, henceforth known as the MCU. Pretty widely known as that, so probably didn't need to let you guys know that, but here we go. Uh, we're going to talk about Iron Man, inaugural episode uh, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um I was I gotta admit I was late to the party with Iron Man because I was not originally um, a huge uh, superhero fan, so I didn't start watching until 2010, 2012 in that range there. Really? Um, so I actually did not know that this was gonna turn into a huge, you know, movie arc that it has. Um, but whenever I watched that, uh, you know, the uh, uh, after credit scene with the beloved Samuel L. Jackson is when I first realized what was going to happen. Um, when did you guys pick up on this? Were you guys uh, there from the get-go? I know uh, I personally was just because I, I followed up on all things geek and cinema, huge film fan. So I'm the guy watching the movie trailers as soon as they come out on like apple.com slash trailers and Yahoo movies and stuff. Um, what about you, Alex? So I, uh, I was never really a comic fan until Iron Man. So I watched the trailer and I was instantly hooked. I thought, you know, this looks amazing. I've always been an action film fan. And then when Iron Man released the trailer, I I had to go watch it. See, I remember hearing, I I was talking uh, while I was in college in Durant uh, with some of my friends that were uh, big comic book nerds and uh, full respect to that word, by the way. And so when I heard uh, they were making an Iron Man movie and Robert Downey Jr., I'm like, dude, that's perfect. I mean, like, that's perfect, perfect for Tony Stark. Oh, yeah. And- Whenever you go back and you listen to the interviews with John Favreau as to what he was looking for whenever he was casting, he originally said he wanted, like, a, a, like a no-name because he thought that Iron Man itself would be enough branding to rise up a new actor and get people to watch the movie. But whenever he met Robert Downey Jr. and uh, he like um audition for the role he thought i've got to give it to this guy because he is tony stark like his life lines up perfectly with what we're trying to do here oh yeah because i mean he even like his battles with sobriety and stuff lead right up to you know how tony lives his life so it's crazy the, um, i i didn't know this till much later but uh the iron man character was actually based off a guy named howard hughes Oh, yeah! I never knew that either. I know he's based on Howard Hughes. That's the um, oh God! I know that name. He's the, he's not the inventor. Is he? he is the inventor? He's he invented um. Oh God! Now I gotta look it up because I'm going crazy. Yeah, he was a uh, he, he was a a record-setting pilot engineer uh, back in the uh, back in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. There you go. Oh, he was a long time ago, back when Stanley first started writing his stuff. Apparently, he there's a Howard Hughes on here, and he produced movies. That's so that's what I was thinking of. Uh, Record-setting pilot, engineer, film director, and philanthropist. Yep, same guy. There you go. So apparently, this was what um, the character was based on. But then, instead of naming him Howard, he named him Tony, of course. But then he turned around and he named. Tony's dad, Howard. So Howard Stark was got his name from here, and then Tony Stark got his, like his, uh, I guess personality from Howard Hughes. Huh. Pretty cool yes. thing. It's pretty cool. This guy's uh, from uh, Humble, Texas. Down in Houston. That's crazy. Going back to uh, John Favreau for a minute. Um, this guy is really starting to make a name for himself. Um, He's, of course, 
um, showrunner to the Disney Plus series, The Mandalorian, that has gotten rave reviews from a lot of people online. I know every single one of us is a pretty big fan of it. Oh, yeah. Um, and he he, he uh, was the showrunner for The Lion King, the movie that came out last year, the live action. Um, I really enjoyed it. I don't know about you guys, but I wanted to let you guys know, a lot of you guys might not know this. I know I didn't know it. His first role um, in a Marvel movie was actually as Foggy Nelson in the old uh, Bat- Batman, or sorry, uh, Ben Affleck Daredevil flick in 2003. What? Yeah, that I was- didn't know that either. That was John Favreau. That is crazy. I know. I was reading yeah, up he, on that. I was like, what? He almost didn't get that part. They almost used the same guy all the way through the movie. And then uh, the director thought that uh, he didn't really portray the part. I forget who the other actor was uh, who played the younger. But uh, they uh, they almost used the same guy all the way through, but they didn't feel like his... Um, what am I trying to say here? Like his personality fit the character profile? Yeah. Yes. They, yeah. They thought, uh, they thought Favreau was, was going to do a much better job for the more mature version. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, that movie was terrible overall, so they struggled over nothing, honestly, but I have, yeah, for sure. I have this, uh, I got a confession to make, you know, I saw John Favreau's name over and over and over, and I didn't actually connect until like the third Iron Man movie that he was happy. Yeah, he's Happy Hogan, man. I had no idea until the third. <laughs> you know, a lot of times when I when directors write themselves into movies or producers write themselves into movies, it's it's terrible. But I really enjoy Happy Hogan as a character. Oh yeah, he was excellent, and uh, it's just knowing who he is just makes it that much better when you watch him. But watching, okay, so Iron Man two thousand eight, man, he looks young. <laughs> so, oh, for sure. I guess dealing with that many actors, <laughs> A-list actors for that long would age you quite a bit. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. And this one, um, he whenever they were writing the movie, he kind of was looking back at the, the comic book adaptation of the introduction to, to, to Tony Stark and Iron Man. And, of course, if you guys are familiar, it's actually based in around the time of the Vietnam War. And he didn't want to do like a what he would call, quote, a period piece, quote. So he, uh, instead of writing it back in Vietnam, he just moved it to Afghanistan to make it more modern. And I think the transition was seamless. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I mean, I love that they started the movie out right into the action. Oh, yeah. Right? Just, just getting into the movie. I mean, um, you know, he shows the desert and then back in black starts playing. And it shows him drinking scotch in the Humvee, uh, the Funvee. <laughs> so, the Funvee. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, the uh, and then they blast back and they do all that, and I thought that was a great transition because uh, you, you know you get right in the action, and then they jump back and give you the storyline, you know, of his background, where he came from, and all that, and everything just framed up and straight. And uh, I loved it. I actually have a cousin who's in the military in Afghanistan, and at the time, and I was thinking, this is so cool. <laughs> <laughs> Some first-hand sight there. There you go. Alex, what did you think about the transition? So, in, in prior movies, I've never been a big fan of starting in the, let's say, a third of the way through or a quarter of the way through and then jumping back to the original storyline. But having said that, I think Iron Man did a fantastic job of that. Yeah, it can be very misleading. and You know, you f- feel almost like tricked or something. You know, and... Uh, but man, that was just seamless. You know, it's a hook, man. That's what it is. It's a hook. Mm-hmm. You're like, well, now I got to stick around and see what the heck's going to happen. Oh yeah, absolutely. But Iron Man's one of the more highly regarded movies in the MCU, despite it being the first one to get the MCU off the ground running. I know we'll go over our own rankings here in a minute, but I wanted to talk about some of the people that consulted on the script, and I think that's something that really helps set the set this one apart from some of the other ones. If you guys are familiar with comic book writing, Mark Miller is a comic book god. Mm. He, he he consulted on this one. Brian Michael Bendis is a Marvel god. Joe Quesada, Tom Brevoort, Axel Alonso, Ralph Macchio all consulted on this script. Ralph and I think Macchio. that's something that Ralph Macchio, <laughs> yes. 
I think that's something that really elevated the script and made it one of the more memorable ones because you've got all these comic book minds coming together. And I know a lot of times they're going to disagree, but it seems like they really found a nice niche with this one and they weaved it into gold. They did. And, you know, the more I think about this movie, the more I want to watch more of the special features because I want to know exactly how much of this was like improv by RDJ. I know. Um, because God, like like we've been saying, he was Tony Stark. He is Tony Stark. Yeah, I would actually like to watch some of those too. I've got the Blu-ray. I should probably do that. I've got time tomorrow. I might do that. Do that. There you go. I started to watch it, and uh, last night I ended up falling asleep, uh, staying up way too late. Um, I watched the recap some at lunch, just trying to remember all the things and. Uh, I. Okay, forgive me. I always forget the actor's name. Jeff Bridges, right? Obadiah? Yep. Yeah, Obadiah's okay. name was Jeff Bridges, yeah. Holy crap. Because if you know anything about Jeff Bridges, he is pretty much the hippie that, you know, Tron made him out to be. And, uh, you know, seeing him play Obadiah, that was amazing. I feel like he did a pretty good job. I don't, I don't I'm not really familiar with... Jeff Bridges. I don't really. I haven't. Really, I don't think I've watched him in any other film, to be honest with you. But I mean, I didn't have any issues with his acting or anything. I didn't have any issues believing that he was the character. Oh so man! For yeah. me, for me, it was a, it was a strange transition seeing Jeff Bridges in Iron Man because you know seeing him in you know the Big Lebowski and then oh yeah, it, you know he doesn't really fit that uh, business you know take over the world persona. But I think I think he did an amazing job with this role. He did a made a solid transition to uh, this role, and I think that credits his ability as an actor. You know, I'm very familiar with the character of Obadiah Stane, and in the comic books, he's actually pretty straightforwardly trying to take over Stark Industries from Tony Stark. But in this movie, he's you know he's not doing that. He's he is secretly trying to take it over, but face to face with Tony Stark and with the media, he's buddy buddy with him. So it's kind of like he played this nice stab in the, in the back role rather than just coming straight out and being a villain. See, I didn't realize that. See, I didn't get to do the comic books. Uh, the uh, So the Cloak and Dagger wasn't there in the comics? Nope, it was not. He was straight up, I'm here to take over this freaking company. You need to leave, Tony. Did they have the background in the books with uh, Obadiah and Howard? Were they yeah. friends? Yeah, like they started the company together, yeah. Or maybe maybe um, maybe Howard like brought him on early or something like that. But they basically they built it together, and he was in there. And then whenever Howard dies, of course he leaves it to Tony, and that really uh, shook Obadiah the wrong way, and he's just kind of on a warpath to take it over ever since then. Made him pull his hair out. Pretty much, that's why he was bald. <laughs> that's what it is. Where do you guys have this one ranked in your MCU rankings list? So there's 23 movies as of right now. I know we're getting Black Widow number 24 in a couple months. We're going to try to hit... I don't know if we'll actually hit all of the movies between now and then because that seems like we'll be recording two, one or two times a week and that might be a little excessive, but we'll try to hit most of them before then and get a good episode out right when Black Widow hits. But where do you guys have this one ranked in your uh, your 1 through 23 right now? Go for it, Alex. What you got? Oh, definitely a solid number one, mainly because this was what hooked me into the MCU and led to a almost unhealthy obsession with it. <laughs> that's fair, man. Yeah, no, that's completely fair because uh, like Dalton and I were talking earlier, um, I actually have this the same as Juan does. I've got it at number four, and I have it below... Um, I've got it below Avengers, uh, the first one. Uh, I loved uh, Endgame. And, oh, why can't I think of the third one? Oh, uh, the not Endgame, the one prior to Endgame. The, Infinity War? I forgot what they called it. Infinity War? Infinity War. Yeah, I couldn't think of Infinity War. So I liked, you know, those three. I liked those Avengers movies. To be honest... Uh, Ultron, I liked it, but not near as much as I like some of the other Marvel movies. Um, but I have Iron Man number four just for that reason. That was my gateway because I was just like 
praying for like the you know like nine ten months after i saw the trailer please don't mess this up please don't mess this up please don't mess this up (laughs) and they didn't they it was amazing yeah that's fair man i've got it at six actually which might surprise some of you but listen to what i've got above it uh captain america the winter soldier is my number one black panther at two avengers infinity war at three guardians of the galaxy the original at four and doctor strange so that's what i've got above iron man and not because Iron Man is subpar or worse than those, but because those movies are, they set out, they add so much to the MCU within them. Captain America, the Winter Soldier is just action-packed and it adds so much, so I had to rank it a little bit higher. But Iron Man definitely still up there in terms of, honestly, it could be a six-way tie for all I'm concerned. But Oh, yeah. That'd be a little excessive. But after that, it kind of goes downhill, but there's some still some really good flicks that we'll, we'll eventually get to talk about. Are they going to do a solo Hawkeye film? I I don't think so. They're going to have that Disney Plus series for him, though. Yeah, I'm excited to see that. But Which might anyway. be better than a flick, to be honest with you, because there's a lot of backstory they can explore with Hawkeye. Oh, yeah. I'm, and I, Jeremy Renner's, I think, is a great actor. But I'm sorry, I'm getting this off subject. But No, you're good. What do you think, Alex? Alex, did you have anything to add to the rankings? Oh, um, yeah, like like I said, uh, Iron Man's my number one. I'd have to give, um, you know, I'd, I had my rankings set up, and then I got to thinking about it, and I completely destroyed my rankings. <laughs> so, uh, you know, Iron Man, definitely number one. As far as uh, what's in my top five, definitely Captain America, the original, because I, I like seeing the transition of, how Captain America came to be. Right. And then, uh, you know, I think, uh, I think the Avengers is definitely uh, a solid number two for me. Okay. I, I can definitely see. see that. I know the Avengers when it first came out was, you know, game changing, but I don't know. I've got it ranked pretty low, but we can, we'll, we'll talk about that later. Let's get on to the plot of this movie that we're actually, this entire episode is based on is Iron Man 2008. So we started talking about it a little bit ago. Uh, the intro here, Tom did a great job of explaining that, you know, they dropped that big ACDC bomb at the beginning and get us all hooked. And then as soon as we're hooked, they kind of take us back to the real world real quick. But Tom, do you want to talk about what you thought about him building this amazing first Mark One in this ca- in this uh, cave. I thought it was excellent. Uh, I thought that uh, you know they show it all and they show what's going on and it isn't it isn't until um, and I cannot remember the name of the Ten Rings main leader. Uh, Raza. Raza. Yeah. Yeah. It's not until Raza shows up that you know they really you know say hey listen we can tell this isn't a missile. And so I remember when I was in the theater watching, I'm like, it's pretty obvious this isn't a missile, but we're just going to leave it to, you know, just, you know, I think they expect us to leave it to savage ignorance at the time. Yeah. It's a harsh term, but, you know, that they're just saying, you know, they don't know what's going on. But, uh, you know, I mean, like when he's got his leg and he's moving it and he's moving the uh, mechanism up and down, you can't tell me you think that's part of a missile. Yeah. So, but when they build it all and they get out uh, that big, you know, behemoth iron monster, it was just, yeah, that was awesome. And, you know, badass, the fire, the flames, the explosions, just getting right into, okay, you know, this is the first like Iron Man suit. And uh, yeah, that was, it's just an amazing get right into it kind of a thing. I thought that it was going to be a lot of build up, and then we might see, you know, a completed suit towards the end. But just seeing that at the very beginning, I thought was awesome. Yeah, I think it was probably better off that they did it this way and didn't bore people for the first hour and a half. Oh, definitely. Definitely. But what really sparked this was, you know, they, he gets, Sark gets injured and then they capture him. And then Roz is like, oh, hey, build us this missile and we'll let you go. And, you know, Jensen and Tony Stark are like, you're full of shit. You're not going to let us go. <laughs> yeah. So they just basically decide to build this freaking massive thing. And unfortunately, Jensen gets killed on his way out. But 
I really yeah. thought that it was insane that he could build this in a cave. Alex, you said, uh, did you get to watch all the deleted scenes? Uh, not all of them. Uh, I've watched a few of them, but I haven't. I haven't made it through all of did them. Did you see? They did a deleted scene. Uh, they have Jensen talking about backgammon, you know, because they're playing it in the cave. Uh, yes, and he was like, "Hey, uh, you want me to teach it to you?" Did you see that scene? I don't think so. It's excellent because he goes into, you know, and uh, uh, Tony's like, "Oh, he, yeah," because you know I'm backgammon champ four years running. You know, he's being sarcastic back to him about doing it at MIT, and uh, then Jensen says something about it. he goes, "Oh, I'm sorry." He goes, "I didn't think you would be." Uh, he goes, I thought you'd want to play at a collegiate level like, you know, Cambridge. And they go back and forth. This is <laughs> colleges. And it's hilarious. And I'm like, why would you not put that in the movie? I guess they had to cut it down because it is over two hours, isn't it? Um, oh, yeah. Runtime on this is 126 minutes. There you so go. Two just hours, over two hours. Minutes. Yeah. And uh, so the, uh, yeah, they go back and forth talking about Cambridge and, you know, MIT. And it's, it's really good. And, I wish they left in there because Jensen, you just, you got to love him. I mean, especially when you hear his backstory about his oh, yeah. family and everything. Uh, but just hearing the humor, the banter between them both, just these learned guys just going back and forth, it was great. Well, damn, I'm kind of upset that they didn't put that in there. That sounds like a hell of a scene. Yeah, maybe we should do like a complete episode over deleted scenes that were should have been in movies. <laughs> oh, I bet we can make time for it. <laughs> That'd be fun. Yeah, because there was some solid deleted content from Iron Man. Yeah, there's one I didn't get to watch. Alex, did you see? Um, they had one where when Obadiah, when he gets hit by the EMP from the arc reactor, that he's actually dangling off the ledge, and uh, Tony Stark's ha- holding on to him, like he almost saves him. And yes, I, I did see that. Okay, what happens? Because I didn't get to see it. You want to eliminate? You remember anything about it? Um, I would if it uh, if it had been recently that I saw it. Yeah. So I mean, it sounds like it would be pretty interesting because I mean that's you know his father figure too. That's what you got to think of. He didn't have a very good father figure, and this guy's been kind of stepping in to fill that role, albeit not very well. <laughs> so that's got to be very emotional for him. Right. Yeah. You know what's even more impressive than building a giant suit of armor in a cave is building an arc reactor in a cave oh, to yeah. sustain your freaking life. What about building the like human emotion that he had inside? I'm just joking. I'm not going to get I was about to say, this was a hard left turn. Let's uh, <laughs> circle really back did. around. Yeah, and Tom's got to go home. So. Tom, I think I hear your wife calling you. <laughs> No, really. Um, yeah. So, in that aspect, um, once he's built the suit and he gets out, uh, what do you think? What do you guys think about the press conference and the halting all arm sales and stuff like that? You know, I obviously I wasn't familiar with the background whenever I first watched this, so I was like, this dude is just gonna let his whole business collapse because he got kidnapped, and now he understands exactly what is happening over in the Middle East, and he understands what his weapons are doing to people, but, I mean, you have to understand that even if you're making weapons for the good guys, the bad guys are going to get their hands on them. That's just how life works, and I didn't necessarily think it was the right move at the time, but obviously he he turns it into something that, you know, is going to be more beneficial than weapons would be. Right, Looking, looking back on the uh, the way they portrayed this out, you know, it plays into the Iron Man character, but uh, it went a little too political for me personally. Oh yeah, oh, really? It definitely took a, a political turn. In I think my it opinion. was like a Second Amendment hit or something, or uh, no, more so the uh, you know the. I'm not going to delve too far into it because that that's a whole last conversation for something else. But <laughs> the, uh, you know, the, the false claims, I say false claims, everyone has their opinion, but the claims on like the fake war on terrorism and stuff like that. So oh, it, yeah. it, it delved into that for me. And to me, that went a little too political. That's fair. I can see that. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Cause I remember hearing all this, um, when my cousin was over there and I'm thinking, 
from the stories that he tells me and like no this is very real and it just made me mad whenever people would say things like that so i mean oh yeah absolutely yeah before we get too far away from the ten rings because this is pretty much the end of our uh, the arc and the beginning of this movie uh, I wanted to throw back to the comics again uh, the ten rings in the comic books is actual it's actually ten rings of power that the Mandarin wears um, and it's not necessarily a terrorist group so uh, in this one they turn it into a terrorist group but it's kind of like a like a foreshadowing uh, because I actually read that originally whenever they were writing the script the Mandarin was going to be the villain but they decided against it because it didn't really fit the uh, the introduction and the theme of this film that they were wanting to go with. So they ended up just uh, making Obadiah stay in the villain. He was originally planned to be uh, Iron Man 2's villain. So that was I thought that was a pretty cool little you know foreshadowing moment. Um, and it didn't really necessarily take anything from the comics at that range because I'm sure the Mandarin is still going to have his Ten Rings of Power whenever they properly introduce him. That's another conversation. But what did you guys think about that? Alex? So, um, sorry, I, my, my headphones cut out a little bit there. Uh, what were you wanting me to comment on? Sorry about that. I was just saying like in the comic books, the 10 rings is like their actual rings of power that the Mandarin wears on his hands. And in this movie, it's just, a, it's a terrorist group. So it's kind of like a, they're foreshadowing what they're going to be doing in the future. Yeah. I think that was a, I think that was a solid play that they, um, they moved it away from the Mandarin. So that way they opened up the Mandarin to come back or the Mandarin to make his appearance in the third movie. Like he does. Tom, are you familiar with the, the 10 rings at all? You know, I wasn't until after the movie, um, after the movie, I had some friends that were, uh, you know, comic book laureates as it were. And they would, uh, they discussed it with me. Yeah, this is a big organization. They're actually much bigger than they, they were kind of disappointed. Uh, and, you know, I can't really speak to this, but they said they were disappointed that they didn't play a much bigger role than they did, uh, that they were just kind of out of there. Um, not I can agree with that. Too far in the movie. And see, I can understand that after hearing their argument over it. I wish I was more learned on the subject, but uh, yeah, it, it seemed kind of, you know, it's Obadiah with his little uh, sonic, you know, neuralizer, whatever you call it, uh, took down Raza. And it was just kind of, they could have been much worse. Oh, for sure. And we actually kind of skipped over the part where he crashes in the desert and a new character is introduced to the MCU that's still around to this day, Colonel Rhodes. Obviously, he's not armored at this point in time. And he doesn't even look the same because they recasted him for money reasons. What do you guys Um, think about that? I mean, because... Can we talk about that in this movie yet, or do we have to wait until the next movie? No, we can definitely talk about that in this movie for sure. And I think, I know, I don't think Alex agrees with this. I think we talked about this in the previous podcast with Holocron, but I I actually prefer Don Cheadle. I uh, concur. I don't I don't care much for Terrence Howard. I don't know why. Hey, uh, Alex, give us your thoughts on this. Yeah, I mean, like you said, in the, uh, in the other podcra- pod- podcast... <laughs> I definitely, uh, definitely am not a Don Cheadle fan. So whenever they replaced him for uh, the role of Colonel Rhodes, I was not happy about it. And so it's uh, not so much the love of Terrence Howard, but you just don't care for Don Cheadle. Yeah, yeah. The just him as an actor, I'm not a big fan. Well, from what I read, is that he thought he deserved the same amount of money in Iron Man Two that um, that RDJ was going to be getting. Oh yeah, and, but then Robert Downey Jr. signs this massive contract, and then Terrence Howard's like, "Well, there's no money left for me, so I am out," and yeah. that led to the casting of Don Cheadle. Yeah, that definitely. I remember when all that went down; it was all money, and uh, I don't know. It's the only thing I really ever liked Terrence Howard in. He was okay as Rhodey. I I liked him. I like Don Cheadle better just because I thought he fit the character better because Don Cheadle played him a little more quiet, close to the chest and Terrence Howard seemed to be a little more out there. I don't know. It's like the whole drunk scene when they're in the plane. I was like, I didn't picture Rhodey acting like that. 
I think that's a good take. I can agree with that. I didn't dislike Terrence Howard either, but I definitely think Don Cheadle is a better a better fit. See, I, I disagree with the the whole get out scene. I think uh, I think Terrence Howard would have played that scene a little bit better because just knowing, uh, you know, I'm I'm not active duty Air Force, so I can't speak to that that side of it. But I have seen some individuals of higher rank who are very um, opinionated when it comes to stuff like that. So, like, I, I think Terrence Howard would have done a better better time on that. I guess that's every story, man. It's all subjective that. on this one. We're going to have to agree to disagree on this one. For you listening yeah. out there, definitely let us know what you think. Uh, you know, leave a comment. Um, let us know what you think on this. And then... We're gonna move forward with the plot here. After he does this po- this uh, press conference and he denounces the making of weapons and basically puts everything on hold, he goes home. After obviously he pisses off Obadiah Stan. Obadiah's like, "Oh my god, you're gonna ruin the company." He suck at Obadiah and he goes home and he builds the first. Well, I guess it's it's Mark II. He builds a sleeker, more powerful version of that armor suit. He paints it crimson and gold. He makes a perfectly round reactor to power it and to keep him alive and we see the first real like real iron man what did you guys think about this new this transition go ahead tom i'll let you take the lead on this one <laughs> i uh i thought that because you know not getting into the comic books never a whole lot i didn't really know what iron man did as far as how he fought and so I didn't know if it was the flight uh, flight stabilizers. Is that what he calls them? Yeah. Or, yeah. I didn't know. Did he use those in the comics? Oh, yeah. He's got those. See, because I just remember like in like some of the cartoons and, of course, the toys when I was a kid, you know, the missiles and stuff that would fly out of him. So that's what I thought when I first saw the movie. That's what this was going to be. Just a, basically a little tank that had every bit of ammunition inside it that you could ever imagine. So I thought the little flight stabilizers and how he uses them. I thought that was genius. I was like, I love it. It's like almost like a force blast. And that's actually what I thought of this, you know, these little force blasts where he's just, you know, hitting them, hitting people and they're doing flips in the air and flying off. And I was like, I love this. Yeah. I think it's really cool that he, uh, he uses Jarvis to help him, uh, help him build this and to render prototypes. And, uh, you know, speaking of Jarvis, uh, what did you guys think of, uh, of the Jarvis character now in the comic books. And this is something that actually, uh, I think Alex actually taught me cause I, I didn't remember this originally, but he's actually, he's the Butler. He's not an AI in the comic books. Right. Right. And they actually, uh, they actually mention or give him, you know, sort of a cameo in the, uh, I think it was in Endgame. They give him a cameo as the Butler for the, uh, Starks. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, he's um, he tells him Jarvis Tectonium or something like that, doesn't he? Isn't that what he does? Or no, he's uh, uh, not to give away too much plot, but uh, whenever Tony meets Howard, uh, Howard oh, is uh, yeah. Jarvis is Howard's driver. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, I know what you're talking about now. I missed that, but okay, yeah, yeah. I remember but- what you're talking about now. And I think Paul Bettany did a great job of voicing him as well. And I, I read somewhere that he did his entire like, his entire voiceover work in in like two hours for this film. Whoa! Yeah, he shows up, does two hours worth of work, collects paycheck, and goes home. Obviously, unbeknownst wow. to him, that he was eventually going to have to put spend sixteen hours just doing makeup before a film. But <laughs> yeah, and I, I think Paul Bettany is just. He he's a fantastic actor. Yeah, he is. And you know he did an amazing job in Solo, which that's a conversation for the other podcast. But he did a great job in that, and he's been in some really high profile roles over the years. So I think they did a good job casting him. Oh yeah, without a doubt. Definitely. I, I think we it'd be fun to ask Kevin Feige, who we haven't even mentioned yet, by the way, which I have a a long spew about Kevin Feige. I think he's amazing, but it'd be fun to go back and ask him like, Hey, whenever you cast Paul Bettany for the voice of the vision or the voice of uh, Jarvis, did you 
know that you were eventually going to make him be Vision as well. Like, it'd be fun to delve into his mind and see what the original process was, or if this just kind of got thrown together one day. That would be really good. I would like to know exactly how much they planned out ahead of time. Like, I want to know if they just planned up to the first Avengers movie, or if they thought, okay, let's make it about two or three and see how they do. Because yeah. there's, there's so much continuation, which is just incredible. Uh, and, and obviously, this is 2008 when they cast him, and we don't see Vision come to life until Avengers Age of Ultron, which is 2015, seven years. So, I mean, did they really plan out seven years of this? You know, it's crazy to think about this. It's so 12 years, 12 years ago. All right. It's, it's 2020. So that was 12 years ago. Have we really had like two Marvel movies a year since then? You know, it's actually been kind of inconsistent um, with the release schedule because we got. Actually, I think I can pull it up here. We got two in 2008, one in 2010, two in 2011. One in 2012, two in 13, two in 14, two in 15, two in 16, three in 17, three in 18, and three in 19. So they've kind of been ramping it up here the last couple of years. And then this year they're slowing it back down a little bit because we've got Black Widow coming out and we got The Eternals in November. And that's it for this year. We're only getting two. Oh. But now they're really starting to also switch, switch their focus. They've got like four or five Disney Plus series coming out this year. So they're not only focused on the film side of things now. And like you said, I'm I am excited about Disney Plus stuff because it seems like you can't put a lot more content. I mean, you couldn't put a two-hour Mandalorian movie out there and been that amazing like that series was. Yeah, but the way it is, we got you know a little over four hours worth of content, and it wasn't enough. It wasn't nearly enough. I know. <laughs> we well, but we did get an instant promise for a season two. Oh yeah. Right after they killed off everybody's favorite character. Dude, don't I can't don't even talk about it. I can't. Yeah. That doesn't fit this podcast anyway. We need to move on a little bit. <laughs> See now uh, I'm crying. I hope you're happy. Are you okay? I think your wife's calling you. <laughs> <laughs> Another throwback, uh, some foreshadowing that happens right after this, so he makes this new arc reactor that's gonna power the suit. Pepper Potts is introduced around this time and she takes that original uh, the original reactor that they made in the cave and she puts it in this little case and you know it's got the little proof that Tony Stark has a heart and yep. that's some foreshadowing because he's going to need this later on yep if uh, she hadn't done that he wouldn't have lived um, for sure segue into something and Dalton I think I talked to you about this a little bit too so 2008 obviously in just 12 short years what we've done with and it just it's a more and more amazing each year what they can do with like cgi and graphics and mm-hmm. everything like that and i pay really close attention to stuff like this because uh, i was a broadcasting major i went to film studies i did all this stuff i love it the one thing about iron man that really bugged me was the scene where she's taking the electromagnet out of his chest alex you remember that scene yes that uh that definitely creeped me out <laughs> it the it was gross i get it but no the uh the body double thing that they used for him didn't look anything like his actual body and i expect more from a special effects team you know what i mean uh, yeah absolutely especially looked- on a movie that they spent 140 million dollars on exactly because i mean the second she pulls that thing out puts the new one in and stands up all of a sudden he's got tan line and abs. And it's just like, wait a second. Did you just captain America or something? And just, <laughs> oh, speaking and, of captain America, not to throw you off, but there's actually a replica of cap shield in the workshop. I don't know if you guys have caught that. Oh yeah. I saw that. Pretty cool. More foreshadowing. I like it. It's like only halfway done or whatever. It's got the wires hanging out of it. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt you. Go ahead and go on. No, it's nuts. All right. It, it, that was like the only thing that I didn't like uh, in the entire movie that I can think of. I mean, do you guys have anything that you didn't like in the movie? Uh, no, I don't think so. Honestly. No, I, I thought it was a solid movie through and through, you know, with little bits here and Pete here and there. But I mean, what movie can you not pick apart? Yeah, you can you can always nitpick at everything. Except the Winter Soldier. It's perfect. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> 
And at this point, we start uh, seeing Obadiah staying. He's 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 sneaking around. He's like, "Hey, Tony, what are you working on? Tony, what are you working on? What you got going on?" And Stark's just you know keeping him locked out because he, I think he's suspecting something now. I think he knows what Stane's actually planning on doing to him. That's crazy. Yeah, I, I think he definitely knew something was going on, or it could have been that he. Uh, you know, I can't remember the exact timeline, but I think once he starts getting real interested in his work was after the fact of him finding out that Obadiah is the one that shut him out of the board. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he finds that out, and he also eventually puts together that uh, Obadiah is the reason that Raza was after him in the first place, trying to take him out. Yes. Yeah, he says, uh, who, yeah, Obadiah takes him by the shoulders. Who do you think put the hit out on you? Mm-hmm. And He's like, oh, no, you didn't. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, and that's his entire world just got flipped inside out. Yeah, like, Dad, why did you do this? Yeah. E2, Brute? <laughs> Here you go. <laughs> and I don't speak I, Spanish. I we don't can't, know oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> we can't go through a Marvel movie without talking about the one and only Stan Lee. He had a cameo in this film. Do you guys remember what it is? It's one of my favorites. Yeah, he refers to him as uh, Hef. Yeah, so they're going to this charity event uh, that Stark Industries is hosting, and on the red carpet, there's this old guy facing away from the camera, and he's surrounded by women. He's got his his arms up on their shoulders. Tony walks by. Yeah, the red bathrobe. (laughs) He walks by. Tony Stark hits him on the shoulder and says, what's up, Hef, or something like that, and he just turns around, and it's freaking Stanley, and I thought that was that's one of my favorite cameos of all time that he did, for sure. That was my favorite because, you know, that's the first movie. You don't know what's going to be in there. Uh, I loved it. And I, I want to know how many people in the theater when I was in the theater actually knew who that was. I know, right? I know I didn't originally because, like I said, I wasn't up to par at the time. I didn't know who it was. I just thought it was funny. Alex, did you know? Well. Uh, I'm sorry. What was that? Did you know who who he, uh, Stan Lee was in the movie when he did this first uh, little uh, cameo there? Um. Uh. Yeah, he was the uh, crap. Oh no! I mean, I I know who he was acting as, but I mean, like, did did you recognize Stan Lee? Like, who Stan Lee was? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, I rec- yeah he he called him half, and I was like. That that's not Hefner, and then I, I rewound it and hit play, and I was like, "Oh, that's Stan Lee." There you go. I got it from um, and this is this is how I remember Stan Lee. This from the old Spider-Man cartoons. You remember he used to do the intros. I don't know if you oh, guys yeah. watched this. Oh yeah, yeah. Hey, Spidey fans, and he <laughs> yeah, old school nostalgia. Oh yeah, for sure. And at this charity event, it's where things really start to take a twist because there's a reporter. Uh, her name's Christine Everhart. She walks up to Tony and she's like, hey, Tony, uh, so some of your weapons have been delivered to the Ten Rings and they're destroying Golmira. And he knows that Golmira is where Jensen was from. Mm-hmm. So he he takes this brand new armor that he just made and flies it all the way to freaking Afghanistan in about four seconds of screen time. Mm-hmm. And he this is where we get to see Iron Man really uh, the first real Iron Man uh, action scenes. And he just destroys. This is one of the best scenes in this whole film, in my opinion. What do you guys think? Go for it, Alex. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed the scene. I thought it was, uh, you know, visually, it was amazing. And then just the, almost the, just the hero aspect of it, you know, Tony jumps in as the hero of the day because they've got this family and they're fixing to execute all the men. And then the kid runs over there and you're thinking, Shh, you know, shit, he's fixed to get executed too. And then Tony Stark drops in and just saves the day. Yeah, I forgot about that part. I'm glad you mentioned that. I forgot he saved the kid. Yeah, and they try to take him out with a couple fighter jets too, and he just he makes it look easy. Takes him right out. Oh, yeah. you remember he was, uh, he, they said that he was Millennium Falcon in it because he was hanging on the bottom of it. <laughs> yeah. And this is where he actually has, this is the first time where he actually reveals his identity secretly to Rhodes. Yep. So up to this point, this is the only time in the entire MCU where no one knows who Iron Man is. Yeah. 
<laughs> Albeit a very short amount of time. Very, very short. <laughs> and he tells Rhodes, of course, and Rhodes is like, oh my gosh. Yeah, because they thought it was a was it unmanned aerial vehicle. Is it UAV? Is that right? I think so, yeah. And, uh... Yeah. Yeah. And the, the funny part was he took out a multi-million dollar F-22 Raptor, and it was all by accident. Yeah, which <laughs> is <laughs> accidentally clipped the wing. Yeah. He just went through the wing of the plane, and then the, uh, popped down, and he hit the, uh... Of course, I don't know. Of course, Alex, you probably could share some light on this. Uh, guy's falling in his chair, and he, uh, smacks the uh, parachute container as hard as he can. Would that actually work? Uh, yes. So basically what he did was that uh, that lever the pilot's trying to pull is what launches the mechanism that releases your chute. And those things can get jammed. It was actually one of the design flaws on the original F-22s. And so basically what Tony did was he bypassed the lever and just punch through the uh, release mechanism. All right, Dalton, it's just so cool that he knows that. (laughs) (laughs) We all have our reasons for being here, man. Well, mine's like that cool. (laughs) Unfortunately, I'm going to have to duck out, guys. I've actually got to get ready to go to work, but I really enjoyed being on the podcast. I'm definitely going to listen to it, the rest of it, what y'all talk about, and then uh, hopefully I get in on the next one. Yeah, sure, and we appreciate you participating, man, and uh, Definitely, we'll invite you back and uh, hope you have fun at work, I guess. Yeah, not so much fun. More so blatant staring at a computer screen. But I appreciate the sentiment. <laughs> oh, of we course. Did, we did that today. Yeah. We did <laughs> I'll catch y'all later. All right, later, man. See you. Well, Tom, just me and you from here on out, man. We still got about half of this plot to go. You're not in a hurry, are you? No, I'm good. Go for it, man. All right, so... After he flies over to Golomir, he screws everybody up. He's coming back. Uh, he takes out the F-22. He tells Rhodes, hey, stop attacking me. This is, I'm Tony Stark. And then what's going back? What's going on back um, in Golomir is the Ten Rings. They're gathering up Stark's original prototype suit. And they're taking it back to Obadiah Stane. And we find out he's been trafficking arms to the criminals. And he's also staged a coup to replace Stark as the CEO by hiring the Ten Rings to kill him. We just talked about that a moment ago. Oh, yeah. But at this point, he subdues Raza, and he kills everybody else that's around him. And then he makes them reverse engineer a suit. What did you think about the Ironmonger suit? The Ironmonger suit at the end. You know, because the thing is, is that when they were putting that suit back together, I'm like, okay, so if he builds a suit, he's going to... If, and I remember thinking this in the uh, movie, in the theater... If he builds a suit, he's going to make it big. Because, number one, I thought he's not going to have to rely on the chess piece for his life. So he's not going to think about it. He's going to be reckless with it. And uh, number two, uh, he's just going to go big or go home. Because that's just the kind of guy he is. He's just going to try and wow people with a tank. So I didn't know what to expect. but I knew it was going to be very large. And it wasn't going to be conservative as Tony's was. Oh, yeah. Without a doubt. And at this point, Tony is just kind of grasping for strings here, and he he calls on Pepper, who at this point, their relationship is not well-defined, so we don't really know what's going on with them. But he basically calls her, and he's like, hey, you need to track down all these sales and see where the hell my weapons are. I'm going to go destroy all of them. And that's Mm -hmm. when she finds out that Stane put the hit on him. But then she also finds out that they reneged on him and because they realized that they had a direct route to Stark Industries weapons and they didn't need him. Exactly. Yeah. The, the scene where she is getting the information out on the flash drive uh, was so excellent. I thought that both of them did, Gwyneth uh, Paltrow and Jeff Bridges did an amazing job with that scene. Uh, I can she, agree with her. She's got the, uh, she's got the flash drive in there and you see the files are copying and, um, she leans back and the camera pans around just in time for her to put the screensaver back on. Like she's not been doing anything and it's just like, Oh my gosh, that's awesome. Yeah. Music, very well done. Music was well done. The acting was well done. Uh, when she got the job and put it in the newspaper and then he asked for the newspaper and yeah, just everything about that. Definitely an excellent scene. And at this point is where pepper kind of gives in, to this bug that's been 
annoying her for the last <laughs> little bit. His name is Agent Phil Coulson. Yes, from and the Strategic get- Homeland in. Uh, what is it? Engineering, Intelligence, and Logistics Division. Yeah, they're working on it. Yeah, and I did not pick up on that until he said it at the end. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we get introduced to S.H.I.E.L.D. here, which turns into a much bigger deal later on down the road, but it's a nice little Easter egg here. Oh, yeah, and see, I, I honestly, I did not catch it. Did you catch it? Not originally, I didn't, no. Yeah, because th- when he first says that, I'm and she's like, that's quite a mouthful. And he's like, yeah, we're working on it. And I'm just like, that is quite a mouthful. And then, yeah, towards the end of the movie, he said, just call it S.H.I.E.L.D. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, duh. <laughs> and I like how at this point, S.H.I.E.L.D. tries to take over. But when they go, when they try to take down uh, the Ironmonger, he just kind of walks through. I'm like, it's it's a piece of cake. They don't even put up any resistance. Oh, yeah. Hot knife through butter. He just cream, you know, and uh, Tony's uh when he, he says, yeah, he's got so-and-so, he's got the agent, he's like, it's not going to be enough. Yep. And yeah, that was that was awesome. And before they go and attack him, he's actually, he's trying to get them to duplicate the reactor that Tony Stark created in a cave. And that's one of my favorite scenes in the entire movie is where he's yelling at his, Tony Stark was able to build this in a cave. With a box and of scraps. they've got all these resources. And they yeah. can't build it. So what he does is he goes to Stark's house, he ambushes him, and he freaking takes it from his chest. Yeah, that tool came in pretty quick and handy. It's nice that he <laughs> had that just hanging around. Yeah. But yeah, the guy's uh, reaction, he says, well, I'm not Tony Stark, or we're not Tony Stark. Yeah, yeah. Just let you solidify the fact that, you know, there's just one Tony Stark. And, you know, the sad part is that Stain did not care at all, and he was okay with letting him die. Yep. It's just yeah. ridiculous. It is ridiculous, because, I mean, I I don't know. If Obadiah hadn't gone bad, what would have happened? This, I know, right? What could yeah. have happened? Yeah, like, happened? he could have been, been the Iron Patriot. So, one thing that I, and I'm only using this as a reference to the current movie, but in Endgame, when he goes back, one thing I wish they would have done is I wish Obadiah would have been there and they would have had Tony's reaction to seeing Obadiah. Oh, that would have been good. Yes, it would have been amazing. If, you know, Jeff Bridges is walking in while he's talking to his dad, he just kind of stutters and stops yeah, for that, a second. because that would have been so good. Does he say anything? Does he not say anything? <laughs> I think you need to write an email to Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely and let them know that they missed out on a huge opportunity here. Oh, man. I wonder if it's a deleted scene. Uh, it, as soon as we get off this, like later tonight, you got to check out some of these deleted scenes. They are just incredible. Uh, and I've got to watch them all. I haven't got to watch but like maybe 10 minutes of them. Uh, I didn't realize there were that many. Oh, yeah. I've never really sat down and watched them either, but I own every all 23 of these on Blu-ray, so I definitely have the ability to check them out. I'm just lazy. <laughs> no, you're just energy conservative. I like that. I'm going to go with that from now on. I'm not lazy. I'm conserving energy. There you go. Might have to eat later or something. So the um, the end of the movie, did you know... Uh, and forgive me, is there something you want to go over before we go to the end of the movie? No, this is we're, that's pretty much where we are. Go for it, man. All right. So press conference, they give him, you know, read the cards, stick to the cards. And he's like, you know, I'm not a super. And then the uh, Christine, she's like, no one's insinuating you are. And he's like, you know, that's <laughs> just not me. And he gets upset and he says, the truth is. And the thing is, is that did you know that what he said was unscripted? Oh, was it really? He wasn't supposed to say, I am Iron Man. What was he supposed to say? And he was supposed to give a, an excuse. They, oh, actually, okay. they actually had some excuses and stuff. He's in, but no, he went unscripted. He went improv and he said, I am Iron Man. So in the original script for the movie, he doesn't out himself? Nope. I did not know that. Yeah, I think he's supposed to said, let's see here. And I'm going to pull this up real quick so I make sure I'm not a liar here. Well, I know they did some. It was something similar in Endgame too, because whenever he says "I am Iron Man" and snaps his fingers, I think originally there was something else there. But Tony Stark or uh, Robert Downey Jr. had said that, and they ended up liking it better. I think I read that. 
course, I'll I'll fact check that before we get to the end game episode. But you found what you're looking for. Let's see. It says, um, there we go. Uh, in 10th anniversary of the summer, Kevin Fage, uh, Fiji, uh, Feige. Feige. There you go. Kevin Feige. Yeah, Kevin Feige revealed to Deadline that the movie's twist ending was not planned in the script. Iron Man ends with Tony Stark holding a pref- press conference and saying, I am Iron Man. He says he went off script during the filming of the movie's final scene and blurted out the revelation to the surprise of Feige, who became excited by the choice and approved it before leading one to the credits. That's so, awesome. Yeah. And so I'm not exactly sure. Uh, he said that. Uh, it, I'm not exactly sure what exactly they were going to do, but yeah, that was complete RB, RDJ right there, man. It just goes to show that Marvel nailed this casting. Oh man, they did without a doubt. I mean, and pretty much everyone since then, um, uh, I can't think of anyone to play any of these characters any better than they've chosen. You know, and the the two things that I did, the two castings that I disagreed with, they actually ended up fixing. So the first one, of course, was Terrence Howard as Rhodey. There we go. Didn't really Sorry, care Alex. Yeah, sorry about that, buddy. I know you like him. Uh, But the second one was actually, it gave us Mark Ruffalo, who is my favorite Hulk. I did not originally care for um, Edward Norton in the the next movie. And that's going to be our next episode, by the way, is The Hulk, which um, I'm not super excited for. I didn't like that movie. But anyway, I think that's, those are the two castings that I didn't agree with off the bat. And they ended up recasting both of them. What did you think? I would agree with that. Uh, I didn't, because I like Edward Norton. I like the actor, but he was—he's not Bruce Banner, not without a doubt. No, and um, of course, even Mark Ruffalo—he's a little bit bigger than I would think Bruce Banner would be, because you know he's in the comic books and stuff. He's a little bitty, you know, teeny guy. Yeah, uh, maybe Norton's build, but Norton's kind of just got the. Um, I don't know what you would call it. He's got kind of a, I don't know if you'd call it a bravado about him, but it's, I, I, I after seeing Fight Club, though, <laughs> I can't think of a nerdy little scientist. that I can't think of that when I, after watching Fight Club. That's fair. I just, I've, I haven't really watched Edward Norton and a ton of stuff, and I didn't really like him in this, so that's kind of my entire view of him as, a, as an actor is this movie. I did like him, and if you had a chance to watch it, not to go off topic, uh, in The Illusionist, I thought he did a pretty good job at that. No, I haven't seen that one. I'll have to check it out, though. It's pretty nice. But, yeah, all in all, definitely four or above on this movie for me. Um, like you, I do love Doctor Strange, because Benedict Cumberbatch, freaking A, just another perfect cast. I know, dude. I mean, wow. Um I think it's hilarious um, that they actually have scenes where um, you've got uh, Vision and uh, Iron Man and Doctor Strange all in there, and they have all these memes for Sherlock. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and it's just great. But, we live uh, in a memes memes culture now. We do, we do. It's meme school, but uh, yeah, just. All the casting was great. All the effects were great, save for the chess thing. I'm sorry. I still can't get past that. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. It's but a little weird. It is weird, but Quince Paltrow was amazing. You um, know, I'm not a huge fan of her, but I actually did like her in this flick, and most of these Marvel ones, she does a pretty good job. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she does She's really good well. Pepper. I haven't seen her in much um, aside from this. I did watch, I loved her in Contagion. I thought yeah. she did a really good job in that. Um, but as far as other stuff, uh, I remember she was in a few, um, n- like my mother watched some chick flicks that she was in and she liked her. Good old chick flicks. You know, you were the one watching those. You know, here's the thing. My mother's an English major. I can't tell you how many times I watched Sense and Sensibility <laughs> <laughs> in like so many different formats. You poor man. Oh, you have no idea. So I'm the guy that when they're talking in old English, I'm cracking up because I know what they're saying. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, this pretty much wraps up the main plot, but we do have another scene to talk about. Uh, this really started whenever you go to a Marvel movie now, you stick mm-hmm. to the credits, you don't leave because you know they're probably going to tease something at the very end. And this one is one of the more epic ones where we get a very beloved actor that's been in a ton of good roles. And um, in Nick, in, uh, he plays Nick Fury here, uh, Samuel L. Jackson. And he really lays down like the original. He threads the needle of the MCU with this. He basically walks up to Tony Stark. He's like, you're not the only superhero in the world. I need to talk to you about the Avenger initiative. And then everyone in the theater pisses their pants. That's what happens there. Oh, my gosh. Yes. When he did that, the theater I was in just erupted. I was like, yes. And because I had no idea that was going to happen. I watched weekend. And uh, I will say this, a solid job by him because he did a much better job than David Hasselhoff. So, David Hasselhoff. Oh, God. <laughs> so, no, he... Uh, uh, he's Nick Fury. He really is. Uh, he he does a great Sam, job. He really does. You know, Sammy Jackson. He's the man. Um, yeah, I think it, that's another one of your deleted scenes to talk about, though, because I think I did watch one that whenever he's in this scene, he's actually talking about like spiders and people with mystical powers or something like that. Oh yeah, I don't know he, if that's one you saw. He throws out. I've heard and see, I haven't seen it, but I heard that he goes in there and he throws out Easter eggs. Yeah, and uh, at the end, uh, Kevin Feige was like, "That's way too many Easter eggs. We need to dial it back." Yeah, yeah. And, but then uh, they still put it on the Blu-ray. Yep. So I'm, I'm perfectly fine with that. Uh, I'm so glad, so 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 glad that Sony finally submitted and we, we got Spider-Man. Oh um, yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. Although that's coming to an end here soon. Oh, I know. But, but Fox. We got Fox's characters. We can get the X-Men. We can get the Fantastic Four. We can get Namor. All these amazing new characters. And, I mean, there's so much they can do. They've got to right. They've got to get the Fantastic Four in here ASAP. All right. ASAP. Quick thing. Don't hate me. I have never been a big Fantastic Four fan. Are you serious, dude? But that's just because I have not had the you know come to jesus moment with them i haven't had a good you know holy crap this makes a you know a good believer out of me kind of a uh moment with fantastic four just have you read any of their comics i have not and that's the problem yeah that is a problem please tell me you didn't watch the most recent fantastic four film i had to oh god uh, it's I'm, worse than daredevil and it's worse than it's it's worse than green lantern it's worse than green lantern I know, and you can't say that about. I mean, the, what was the? I've got to look this up again because I remember looking at the score that uh, Rotten Tomatoes gave it, and it was just like I didn't know you could get in the single digits. It was like, let's see here, is it in the single digits? That's awesome, Fantastic Four, two thousand fifteen film. God, that's five years old already. It was five years ago. Oh my gosh! It got a nine percent in Metacritic, which gives everything like an eighty or a ninety. Gave them 27. Oh, wow. I wonder if that's the point where Fox is just like, you know what? Screw it. We can't get it right. We, we got to give it back. Yeah. And I mean, now that, um, oh, what's his name? Hugh Jackman. He said he won't be Wolverine anymore, right? Yeah, right, right. Of course, he says that now. I mean, wait until Marvel gets it and they say, hey, we have a lot more money. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so- How about this $30 million check for one movie? Yeah, he's gonna be like he can't say no to that. (laughs) But I mean, Fox had to concede because I mean we saw what they did with Chris Evans. It was very unspectacular, and then Marvel Studios takes Chris Evans and turns him into an icon in one movie. Yeah, they did, and uh, that transition, the way they made him scrawny, that was incredible. Oh yes. Yeah, the only thing about that movie that I wanted more of, really, is I wish they had more Tommy Lee Jones. I oh, I concur completely. Yeah. I love Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah. I was actually just talking with Juan today about, oh, this is totally off topic, but his role as Two-Face in uh, oh, Batman, Batman Forever. Forever. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was one of his, my favorite roles of his. But. Yeah, he actually did a pretty good job, because uh, you know, the rest of the movie was pretty freaking cheesy, but I like Two-Face. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. All right, man. So this wraps up this flick. Um, did you have anything else you wanted to hit on? No, I really appreciate you having me. This is a heck of a lot of fun. I miss being on the air. 
Yeah, man, we will get you back on one of these for sure. Every single one that you want to be on, just let me know. We'll put you on here. But guys, I want to thank you guys all for listening. And this is just the first episode of uh, Comics in Reverse. And we're going to be talking about all kinds of things here. We're going to talk about comic books. We're going to talk about video games. We're going to talk about movies. Uh, this one's called Filmworks because it's about films. We're going to have Gameworks. And we're going to have Comic Works. All kinds of cool series. Stick around. We're going to try to get at least one episode a week. Maybe spit out two here in these next few months, trying to work our way up to the release of Black Widow, which, Tom, since you're still here, where, what did you think of the Black Widow trailer? I just think Scarlett Johansson, and I just <laughs> go fluttery and just get a little weak in the knees. That's what I think. All right, fair uh, enough. Uh, yeah, I'm, no, I'm totally psyched. Just, did, did you have anything the, to uh, say about Taskmaster? I, I don't know about Taskmaster, but uh, the, um, oh, what's his name? The uh, the Russian, um, oh, it still on. fits, guy. Yes, oh, I don't know his name either. What's his name? I can't remember, but he's going to be fantastic. I love him in Stranger Things, uh, and uh, just seeing him just do the little Russian accent. Uh, oh my gosh, I'm <laughs> I'm excited. Yeah, man, we only got a little over two months. Jeez, and we need to. Try to squeeze in 22 more podcasts about Marvel films between now and then. We I'm sure we'll... Is The Incredible Hulk, is that one of your favorites? Do you really like that one? To be honest, uh, you're talking about with Norton? Yeah. No. <laughs> and we might just kind of glaze over that one. Like yeah. 15-minute episode, because I know I've talked with Juan and, uh, and Alex both, and it it's the bottom of their list. It's literally number 23 for me. Like, it's the worst one. Yeah, I can't really think of anything worse than that. Um, just on the topic, I don't know. I didn't care much for Thor The Dark World, but the only reason yeah. I say that is because I was very sick at the time when I watched it. <laughs> so I don't know if that might have had an effect. Like That's like not puking. fair. I know. I was like puking at the time <laughs> stuff, so... All right, guys, I guess we're going to go ahead and end it here. Be sure to leave a comment. Let us know what you thought of this episode. Um, and let us know uh, any video games you want to talk about. I know we've got The Last of Us lined up uh, near the release of the new movie. Tom's definitely excited about that. He and I are both huge uh, PlayStation fans, The Last of Us fans for sure. Yes, 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 and yes, 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 yes. He'll definitely be in on that episode. That'll probably be a four-hour episode, just a heads up. We'll never stop talking. Yeah, there you go. That and uh, We do. Come on, please tell me you're going to be all about Final Fantasy VII Remake, too. Uh, you know, I've never played any Final Fantasy games, Tom. Oh, my God, Dalton. I know what you're doing this week. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> what did I sign myself up for? Okay, guys, be sure to follow us on uh, Facebook, Twitter, and that way you'll know whenever these new, uh, new episodes drop. And we're going to be pretty much exclusively on uh, Spotify, I think. I don't think I'm going to go through all the trouble of uploading everywhere else. Maybe Apple Podcasts, because so many people have iPhones, even though I hate iPhone, but to each their own, I guess. So be sure to follow us, and uh, we appreciate you guys watching. We'll catch you guys next time. Peace. Peace. Out.